um, unfortunately, but I do have a little preface before we begin, uh, before we start in prayer. If you want to just turn with me to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, and for those tuning in, Amos chapter 5. If you have a hard time finding Amos, me too. Okay, Amos chapter 5, if you're with me, say amen. Okay, look at verse number 14. The Bible says, Seek good and not evil, that ye may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you, as ye have spoken. Verse 15, Hate the evil and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. So God is uh, having his prophet Amos um, preach to the, I think, the remnant uh, uh, in Judah. Uh, could be actually the house of Israel in verse 1, but Something there, uh, just a principle that I wanted to point out, um, and if you also can turn with me to Psalm 97, Psalms chapter 97, this, this principle of hating the evil and loving the good, hating evil and loving good. If you can look with me in Psalm 97, Psalm 97, look at verse number 10, you love the Lord? Amen. Amen. Verse number 10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. And uh, my father-in-law, Danny, he, uh, in, uh, in different times of our lives, whether it be before we eat dinner or just in prayer in different times, he prays this prayer, and I think it's the heart of God's uh, prayer as well. Uh, and he prays for his kids that they might hate the evil and love righteousness, hate sin, and love righteousness, and uh, if you can turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 6, so as you grow in the Lord, as you walk closer and closer with the Lord, you begin to love the things that the Lord loves, but you also begin to hate the things He hates, and uh, the beautiful thing about our Bible is that the things that He wants us to know, He kind of puts pretty plainly out there. Some things are very hard to be understood, but you know, you can know what the Lord hates. He spells it out in sixth grade English. If you can look in Proverbs chapter six, look at verse number 16. The Bible says, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And uh, before we go and list them, I just want to say an abomination is an extreme hatred. It's a a detestation or the object of detestation. God utterly... Oh, he's here. He's not watching from home. All right. Hi, Pat. (laughs) Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. These are things that God utterly detests. He hates them. He put it for us in his words that we might know so that we could hate these things. It's good to hate the things that the Lord hates and love the things he loves, right? So here's the thing, verse number 17, they're listing him off. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, each one of those things could be a study in and of itself, but the Lord has been laying on my heart for the past couple weeks something there that. He actually lists twice. I don't know if you caught that. 
Look at number t- the second thing on that list in verse number 17. He says, a proud look, then he says, a lying tongue. And then he says again in verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies. So in the list of seven things that the Lord has listed that he hates, two times he mentions lying. Oh man, <laughs> that's a red flag to me when God says something twice. <laughs> He wants us to pay attention to that. And, uh, and uh, before we continue, I just want to ask for him for his prayers that we might be able to understand why God hates lying uh, and that we might, you know, stop it. Stop doing it ourselves. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this day, Lord. We do thank you for your word. We do thank you for the truth. Father God, that you've given us, Lord, uh, I am not sufficient for these things. And uh, I just ask you for your help. I ask you for your grace and your strength. I pray that you might uh, deliver this message, Lord. You might teach. Lord, help us to hear from you tonight. Lord, uh, help us to, uh, to cease from lying, Father God. Help us to, to love the truth, Lord. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so two times, two times he mentions lying in that list of things that, Jesus, that, that God hates, right? Uh, what is a lie? Uh, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 6, if you would. I'll give you a quick definition from good old Noah Webster. But it's good to get your definition from the Bible too. Make sure it lines up. Leviticus chapter 6. Noah Webster said, A lie is to utter falsehood with an intention to deceive or with an immoral design to exhibit a false representation to say or do that which deceives another when he has a right to know the truth or when morality requires a just representation. Now, that's Noah Webster's definition, but let's see God's definition. This is the first time you'll see lie show up in your Bible in the context of what we're talking about being in falsehood because the first mentions of the word lie have to do with like lying down and stuff like that. You got to be careful with that. So uh, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie... Unto his neighbor, there it is, in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or hath found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, there it is again, and sweareth falsely. So God has given you all these different ways to understand what a lie is, in case you didn't know. And any of, and any of all these things that a man doeth, sinning therein, because it's sin, then it shall be, because he hath sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully, deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely. So to swear falsely, to lie, to deceit, all connotations for the word lie. He shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more, uh, more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. So, you know, you might start talking to somebody and try to witness to them and say, you know, give them the Ten Commandments, right? You know, most people will say, oh, I never committed murder. All right, that's an easy one. I shall not kill. But right in that list, the Ninth Commandment, it's in God's top ten. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, he says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So it's, it's just the same as if you're going to murder someone in God's eyes, right? Because the book of James says if you committed one sin... You, uh, if you trespass the law in one point, you've, it's like you've committed all because you broke against the, the lawgiver, right? So God 
takes lying very, very seriously, as we already saw in Proverbs and whatnot. Uh, and if you can turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So in John chapter 8, that is the full mention of the word truth. A full mention is like where you can see the word pop up the most in your Bible, right? In like a single chapter or something like that. So in this great chapter where, where God uses the word truth seven times, he actually gives us the source of where lies come from. So look at John chapter 8, look at verse number 44. I'm sure some of you are already familiar with this. He's talking to a bunch of people that you know, claim to have believed on him earlier, but you know, they're arguing with him about, about their, uh, their pedigree. They, they thought that they can trust in their pedigree. And Jesus Christ kind of just cuts right through everything, and he gives them the truth right here. He says in John 8, 44, <clears throat> Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Right there, Jesus Christ, and you know, I think he says, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not, right? Because that's all he could do. All he could do was tell them the truth, and they still wouldn't believe him. Right there, Jesus Christ points out the source of lies himself, the devil. That's where lies come from initially. Now, I want to go back to the first lie in your Bible. Not the first lie recorded, we're going to get there, but the first lie ever told in your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. The devil is the source of lies. Isaiah chapter 14. You wonder why God hates lying so much. Smells like Satan. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. And like I said, this isn't, if this isn't for anybody, this was for me this week. Because God was dealing with me. Isaiah 14. Look at verse number 12. Uh, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Watch it now. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also among the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Can I tell you right there? Right in his own heart, Satan lied. He lied, and the first lie ever, he lied to himself. No, uh, it, you don't have to turn there, but in the book of Obadiah, it's a small book in the Old Testament, one, one chapter long, Obadiah. Uh, it's written in regards to, um, to the Edomites, and it's going to be a really tribulation passage, but there's a really cool verse in here, and I think it has a lot to do with what's going on here in the devil's heart. In uh, Obadiah chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 3, the Bible says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock. These are people that are going to think that they're, they're safe because they're in this, uh, this uh, rock city. Whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, sounds like a space program, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Right there we saw in Isaiah chapter 14, his own heart deceived him. Right? That's what a lie is to tell somebody to deceive them, and he's deceiving him himself. Now, we read in, in Proverbs chapter 6, right, those seven things that the Lord hates. 
it's interesting that the first thing he hates is a proud look. And it almost kind of seems like to me that those seven things are a description of Satan right from the get-go. If you, if you really read through it, it sounds like Satan. A proud look, and what's next? A lying tongue. He had this pride in his heart, this envy for, for God's position. Pride got in there, started deceiving him like pride deceives us all. And he lied to himself, and look where he ended up. The source of all lies. Now, that's not the first lie recorded in your Bible, though. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going quick. <laughs> this might be a short message, guys. It might be a short message. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This thing keeps going down. All right, verse number 1. All right, God's going to give you... He's amazing, isn't he? He gives you the devil's MO right from the get-go. Now the serpent was more subtle, verse 1, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So right there you already see there's an issue with Eve. She did not know what God really said. And that is the issue with the church today. They just don't know exactly what God said. So the serpent can just crawl right in there and deceive so easily. He sees his opportunity. And look at verse number four. Here it comes. You're ready for it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. A bold-faced lie. If you could just turn back to chapter 2, you can see it yourself. 2 verse 17 God's giving the, the, the commandment to Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So who's right? I remember Paul Eschner used to, uh, uh, an old Sunday school teacher, he's now a pastor in Rochester, used to say, you have one guy that uh, always tells the truth and one guy that always tells a lie. How can you tell you know, who's who? And I, that question bothered me for years. And I finally think I found the answer. You got to give them absolute truth against it, right? You have to ask them something that's absolutely true that you know, because one of them has to lie about it. I was 10 when he asked me that, so maybe, maybe it took me a while to get that. But point being, ye shall not surely die. Verse 4, he lied. He lied right there. But then he kind of wiggles in some truth in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. That happened. We're going to see that in a couple of verses. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He's not lying there. He starts with a lie, puts in a little truth, but it's still a lie. Even, even withholding part of the truth is still a lie in God's eyes. Now, isn't that amazing, though? Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. God didn't want man to know evil. He only ever wanted them to know good. That's why Paul writes in, in the end of Romans, be simple concerning evil and wise concerning those things which are good. I, I butchered that, but you know what I mean. And verse number six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened, it happened, and they knew that they were naked. Hey, they see some evil now. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I'm losing my train of thought already. Um, uh, Good for food, pleasant to the eyes. Oh, yeah. So mankind was then plunged into death 
and destruction and sin because they believed a lie. That's, they believed a lie. It was a lie. He lied and they believed it. They didn't believe the truth. But God said they believed the voice of the stranger. Now in verse number eight, and they heard, watch it now, the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And Danny mentioned this on on, uh, Sunday. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And on Sunday it hit me, finally maybe, why God said that. Because from that point on, Adam was lost. Where are you, Adam? From that point on, spiritually, Adam was dead. Uh, we have to unlearn some words that we use in the, Christian, in the Christian world. We use the word unsaved. The Bible never uses that word. The Bible uses the word lost because if they, ever, if they don't get saved, then they're going to be eternally lost in darkness forever and ever. And it's a serious thing. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. That's what happens when sin gets in. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman, he blames the woman, the woman whom thou gavest to, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now watch 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. You know, the serpent has not stopped trying to beguile the bride since the beginning. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11, let me just give you a quick definition of beguiled. Beguiled means to be misled by craft. To beguile is like to deceive. And uh, Paul would write to the Corinthian church, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his... Uh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. But I fear lest by any means... I want to emphasize that because he will lie to you in any way he can. No matter which way you think, he's going to try. You you think that you have him cornered one way. All right, now I know the truth in that. He's going to come around another angle because he's, he just doesn't give up. And he's not, and we're not going to be able to to give up the fight until we go home to glory. So let's keep going with the fight. But, you know, just know that he's not going to give up. So we have to understand that he's going to come out with all these different tactics. He says, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, because he's subtle, it's not going to be right, blatant, obvious. He is going to hide the lies right in your face. I don't know what those lies might be. I, had, I wanted to write down a list, but I didn't want to give Satan any breath to try to stick some ideas in your head of some lies that, that he might have. Like, I don't know about you, but he, he sticks lies in my head all the time. I don't, like, like, he, he starts messing with your heart because he knows the buttons to push. And, and I don't want to give you guys any buttons, any buttons to push. But the MO for him is throwing doubt on the word of God. That's why he said in the beginning, yea, hath God said. From the very introduction of him, you know how he's going to come at you. He's going to come at you by making you doubt what God has said. And then he says in, I'm sorry, I didn't finish the verse. Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It doesn't take much to corrupt something, right? We talked about it in the past where all it takes is a single drop of cyanide in a bottle of water to corrupt it where it's poisoned. And all, all that Satan had to do is change a couple words here, change a couple words there. And now all the church doesn't know who, what God has said. Thank God God has promised to preserve his word. And we know that we have it. I stepped on my shoe and I'm tying it so I don't trip. 
don't want to fall. Anyway, um, notice that it says, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I say this all the time. The Christian life is not easy, but it is simple. Amen. Don't overcomplicate your walk. It is not that hard. I'm sorry, it is hard. <laughs> it is not that complicated. <laughs> it is a simple thing. Trust in the Lord. Pray. It's just like Jason said. Pray, read. Pray, read. The Bible uses the word, our conversation, as a term for life. But I mean, how ironic that it's a conversation because that's all he wants us to do. He just wants to walk with us. And when you walk, you most often have a conversation with the person you're walking with. So, uh, let's see. Where was I? Go with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I'm going to sweat. Bear with me. John chapter 10. Remember, the voice of the Lord came in the garden, right? It was the voice. John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus is speaking, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, because he's a good leader. He doesn't drive us, he leads. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you know your Savior's voice? Do you know it's what, what it, can, you, can you distinguish the voice that's going in between those ears? Which voices are you hearing? Are you hearing that voice or are you hearing verse 5? And the stranger, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. The unfortunate part about today is that we allow so many strange voices into our ears through the streaming that we watch, the, the things that we let, listen to, the people that we communicate with day to day just in our, our normal lives, all these voices. Hey, that's not God's spirit in them. So what voice is in them? What voice is coming out of those people? It ain't of God. Just saying. Flee from, it says flee from them. Why, why are we, we cozy up to the strangers? Eve, why was she cozying up with the devil in the garden? Where was Adam? Where was God? I don't know, but why was she alone with this stranger? I wouldn't want my wife alone with a stranger. As I say that, she's... All right, that's the funny thing. As I say that, she's not here. <laughs> no, she's good. She's all right. No, she's all right. Point being, why do we allow the voice of strangers to dictate the things that we think? We should be listening for the voice of our Savior because we know that He actually loves and cares for us. I mean, the voice of the Lord came in the garden in the cool of day. That seems like an average thing that was going on for a while. I mean, I don't know. It says in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam had to name all the animals. That probably took some time, right? It doesn't give us the exact timeline of when the Adam and Eve were created to when they fell, but I'm assuming it was some form of time where the Lord would come and walk with them. And they knew his voice, but for whatever reason, they let the voice of strangers lead them astray. Let's not take, let's use that example. That's why it's in the Bible, so that we don't fall for the same tricks. John chapter 10, verse, uh, sorry. Uh, go with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. How am I supposed to know the voice 
of the Lord versus the voice of strangers. 1 John 4.1, the Bible says, Beloved, he's pleading with you, John is, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know what I think is interesting? That he starts this great chapter about the love of God with saying, hey, don't believe all the voices out there. Don't believe all the spirits that, you, that come across your path because those spirits, those things that try to mess with your head, trying to try to tell you lies because that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to just corrupt you just a little bit because if he can get you just a little off course, it's like when you're flying a plane. You go off a degree, you're going to end up, instead of going to Hawaii, you'll end up in Alaska. Like, over time, you know, so he's trying to corrupt your course just a little bit. If he can just get you off a little bit, you know, oh, maybe you, maybe you don't believe in the King James Bible. Well, maybe I can just get you to not believe in eternal security. If he can get any means, the Bible says, that's how he's going to try to get in there. Don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God. How are you supposed to try the spirits then? How am I supposed to know? Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. We get a good example. 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm sorry I'm making you flip a lot. 1 Kings chapter 3. I just want you to see these things. 1 Kings chapter 3. We get a really good example from Solomon. How we can make good decisions. How we can make good judgment. How we can try the spirits. Ready? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. Look at verse number 22. You got the uh, Solomon's first issue as king. You got two women. One, one, one woman's son passed away. The other ones didn't. While the one woman was asleep, she switched the babies. Now they have no idea whose is who. And the other woman said in verse 22, Nay, but the living, the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. They're, they're lying. One is lying, by the way. And this, said, and, this, uh, and this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. So they're like, That's my son that, that you switched. No, that's my son that you switched. One's lying. One's telling the truth. How are you supposed to know the difference? Verse 23, then said the king, the one, uh, then said the king, the one saith, this is my son that liveth, and thy son, uh, and thy son is, the, uh, this is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead, and the other said, nay, but my son is the dead, and my son is the living, and the king said, bring me a sword. Amen. That's the answer. Bring me a sword. <laughs> and they brought a sword before the king. This is what happens. And the king said, Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman who the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her, upon her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Because it wasn't really her kid. Why would she care? Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment, because you got to try these spirits, right? Which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in them to do judgment. Solomon's answer, when there was an issue, and he has to figure out who's lying, who's telling the truth, I don't know, give me a sword. You need the sword. <laughs> all right, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, look at number, verse number 12. You need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, I just want you to see these things. I don't want to just put her along. I want you to actually see the verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. For the Word of God is quick, meaning alive. I don't get that. 
I don't know how the world sees it from my, but from my perspective, like when I read this book, I'm not just reading a book. God is speaking to me. I don't know about you. This book is alive. This book somehow, God has figured it out where the chapters that you have coming up, the, the things that you read, you can just keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. You'll always be able to be filled because, and he's always going to give you what you actually need. He's going to point these things out and the Spirit's going to bring these things to your members because it's a living book. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner. It discerns of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It reads you. It tells you what's going on in your own heart when you don't know. I don't know these thoughts, God. What do you think about this? You bring out the spirit. Boom. He's going to show you what's going on. He's going to tell you what's up. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his, the word, sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You need the sword. Let me give you a quick verse. A quick verse that maybe, because this helps me a lot. And you don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians 14.33. You ever confused? I get confused very often. It doesn't take much. 2 Corinthians 14.33, the Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. You're confused, it ain't coming from God. You want to, you want to have any, any of those spirits or any of those things? Oh, I have this bad murky feeling about something that's going on. Is that really coming from God? Because God's going to be direct with you. He ain't going to try to confuse you. He's going to try to make things clear. He's going to give you a plain path. That's the God of the Bible. Use that verse if you ever get confused. Hey, God, this isn't coming from you, so where is it coming from? Help me to think right, God. All right, um, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You got to use this sword, brethren. Use the sword. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 4. I'm sorry, verse number 3. I want to just emphasize some of these words. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Hey, uh, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Those lies that the Satan tries to whisper into your ear. I don't know about you, but I get those thoughts coming up all the time. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to Satan. That's just the truth. And he's going to try to get in there and try to screw you up, screw with your mind. Like Pat said a couple weeks ago, those thoughts that arise, you got to cast them down. Those imaginations, listen, imagination, the world thinks is a great thing. Look up the word imagination in your Bible. It's never really a good context. Imaginations are not good. There is the word image is right there in the, in, the, in the root of it. Cast those things down because they're going to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. But I want to say the weapons of our warfare, we are not in the Old Testament anymore. I wish we could just go around slicing heads. <laughs> it's a little bit easier probably. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's harder to have a spiritual warfare because you forget you're in the war. Yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. You forget that every day you wake up, you're in a battle because you don't see it. We're in an invisible warfare. We're not fighting the air. We're not beating the air. That's what Paul said in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 10. We're, we're fighting the good fight of faith. Something that 
the Old Testament, the Bible says right, in, uh, in Romans chapter 8 that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us because the Old Testament, they conquested land and then they died and they lost it. But the conquest that we do now, the things that the warfare that we're fighting now is more real, more important because the ground we win down here goes into eternity. Whether it be for your own sake, your own rewards, but I don't really, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't even care about that. I care about the crown of rejoicing. All I want is the people around me to be there with me. That's the ground. Those little pieces of dust and dirt that we're trying to fight for. That's the fight. That's the war. But notice what it says. It's mighty through God. Because you can't do this on your own. You, you say, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God, how am I supposed to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's not going to be you. It's through Him. He says it right there in verse 4. Mighty through God. With man is impossible, but not with God. Nothing shall be impossible. And as my brother Pete likes to say, if God said it, He must mean that we could do it. Why would He say it otherwise, Right? Uh, look with me in, um, right. So what am I supposed to think then? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, what's, I'm I'm butchering it. I want to actually read it the right way. I, I memorized it and now I'm nervous. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, that's the first thing. Whatsoever things are true, that's the first thing on the list. Whatsoever things are honest, that kind of, they go hand in hand. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those are the thoughts that we should be thinking. How are we going to do that? Through Him. He's going to help us do that. That's why He's, that's why he's our God. Now, if you look back in uh, John chapter 8 with me, John chapter 8, look at verse number 44 again. John 8, 44. I'm just going to read the verse again. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Do you know that before you were saved, the devil was your father? Right. You knew that, right? Amen. Uh, maybe some people online don't know that. If you are not saved, you are the, the devil is still your father. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. The devil was your father. Like father, like son, right? We spew lies. Comes from him. He is the father of it, it says, right? Look at verse number, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past 
ye walked, past tense, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But that's the past. But God now who is rich in mercy for his great love where he hath loved us even when we were, were dead in sins, hath, Amen. present tense, Amen. quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved, and hath, present tense, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know where you are now? Amen. You're not his son anymore. Amen. God is your father now. Amen. You know what's amazing about this book? I found this out today. Every letter Paul writes to the churches from, I'm going to give you the list. Every time, he doesn't go seven verses without telling you that God is your father. That's interesting to me. It says in, in I'm going to give you the references, ready? Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1-2, Galatians 1-4, Ephesians 1-2, Philippians 1-2, Colossians 1-2, 1 Thessalonians 1-1, 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1-2. Every letter to the church, the Holy Spirit wants you to know God's your Father now. Amen. It says something like this, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Amen. He's our Father. Amen. That's not just there as like a, a footnote. He's our Father now. Satan is no longer your father. So, if God is my father now, shouldn't I be emulating and trying to be conformed to him? Like the image of his son? Shouldn't I try to be more like him? And what do, I, what do we know about God? He cannot lie! <laughs> Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who can, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. It says also in Hebrews 6-18, that it is impossible for God to lie. So then why do we just so flippantly go back to our old nature like we're still under the old pedigree? He's not our father anymore. God's our father. We should be speaking the truth. Now, uh, look at... Um, look at... And also, just in case you're wondering, he also says our father in 1 Timothy 1.2 and Philemon 1.3. He does not say it in 2 Timothy or Titus. He doesn't start at least saying our father. I don't know why, but I just throw that out there for you. Um, so, when did God become your father? When you got saved, right? Amen. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. God's so smart. He's so wise. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at, with me at verse number 13. The Bible says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Here's the means of salvation. Ready? Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got saved when you believed the truth. The truth. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, you don't have to go there, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 
And God can't lie. <laughs> and he seals you with that spirit. So now you have this great big God inside of you, this great big God inside of you who cannot lie. So uh, for, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. How did you believe the truth? Forget my, my last thought. It wasn't worth it anyway. How did you believe the truth? Somebody told it to you, right? Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Hey, somebody somewhere along the line, if you got saved, had to tell you how to get saved. We've been given this message from 2,000 years ago. That message has been handed down generation to generation, soul to soul. All that God wants you to do now, because he's living inside you, he wants you to tell the truth. Give the truth out. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to be like Satan anymore and spew lies. He wants us to be like him, be like our heavenly father. Tell the truth. Now, I said before um, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you know, the Old Testament it was like, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, right? Just don't lie, don't lie. It's even more important now in the New Testament. It's not just don't lie. He wants you to tell the truth. It's not just, it's a fulfillment of that law then. It's not just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything, but open your mouth and let the truth come out now. Uh, It says in, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Therefore, when you see a therefore, you got to find out why the therefore is therefore. And in the last chapter, he's explaining the... Um, the new ministration that's been given to us. The Old Testament, the old law, the law that's in stone that only killed, that was old, that's past, that glory is fading away. But now we got a new testament, we have a new, uh, a new ministration, the ministration of life, uh, the ministration, uh, yeah, ministration of righteousness that we have, this, this, uh, uh, this ability to give people life now instead of to condemn them we have that in the gospel it's the truth that's an amazing thing and he says therefore seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy we faint not don't faint brethren but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty throwing them away not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of god deceitfully i'm not trying to trick you We don't try to trick people into getting saved. We want to let the Holy Spirit do it. We want to let the Holy Spirit minister, and as long as it's going to take is as long as it's going to take, because we don't want to have anybody under the false representation where they think they're saved, and then the judgment, and then they die, and then boom, they weren't saved to begin with. We don't want to give anybody false hope. We want to give them the truth, and the truth, the Bible says, shall make you free. So. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation. That word only shows up three times in your Bible. This is the, I, th- I think this might be the third time. Manifestation, revealing of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what we're trying to do. 
That's how we're trying to minister. Manifestation of the truth. Take it or leave it. That's, it doesn't matter what other people do with it. All you have to do is hold forth the word of life. What they do with it is up to them. That's it. And try not to live in a way where they can, you know, use as an excuse to not believe it. Uh, look at... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. God hates lying. He wants us to tell the truth. Uh, Look at verse number 20. But ye have not so learned Christ... If so be that ye have heard him, I hope you've heard his voice, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that's where the truth lies, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, right? Because that old man is crucified with Christ, Romans 6. It's dead, let it die, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on, the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That's what he wants us to do, to put the lying away. Whether you're lying to somebody physically or whether you're lying to yourself, right? The first time the lie showed up, the devil lied to himself. Are you lying to yourself about things? I'm not going to speculate anything, but I lie to myself all the time saying, you got time. That's a big lie. You don't know. That's a lie. Maybe you have another opportunity to talk to that person. You don't know. That's a lie. (laughs) You don't need to read. You don't need to pray. That's lies. Lies. You don't need to go to church. These are lies that we tell ourselves. Let's not lie anymore. Let's put the lying away. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 Colossians chapter 3 a contemporary chapter to go with it I just want to show you that Paul's Paul's writing this practical advice sometimes the Bible is just practical that's a good thing he says in Colossians chapter 3 Colossians is perfect for us Laodicean age Colossians is written really to the Laodicean church age it says lie not in verse number 9 Lie not one to another. Why? Don't lie. <laughs> Seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And it's not just enough to put it off. You got to put on. And I put on the new man, which is, there's that word again, renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So God wants us to put away lying, put off that old, that old man, lie not, and tell the truth. Now, uh, How? <laughs> How? How are you going to do that? Go with me to James chapter 3. It's easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. Look at verse uh, James chapter 3. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, right? The little, little things to make the, ho- ho- the head of the horse turn. 
and we turn about their whole body, just from turning that little head with that little thing. Behold also the ships, right, like in the sea, which though they be so great, are not driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth, even so the tongue. That, uh, that thing, that, uh, I guess you into so much trouble. The tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Man, this tongue gets us into so much trouble. Gossip, lies, hatred, all these things that we just spew, and we don't have any regard for it sometimes. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on on fire the course of nature, and it, the tongue, is set on fire of hell. This is what God is saying about your tongue, my tongue. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But watch verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The Bible says in, in Proverbs eighteen twenty one. you don't have to turn there, death and life are in the power of the tongue. This little member can either be able to witness to someone and tell them the truth that might save their life, or it might be able to just curse somebody and let them go to hell, or not say anything at all. Watch 8 again, it says, but the tongue can no man tame. See, that's the key. No man can tame it, but God can tame the tongue. God can tame the tongue. Now, we read before, go with me to John chapter 15, if you would. We read before. So here's the key. Here's how you tame your tongue. John, I swear, God put it all in that one verse for us. John 8, 44, it says that the devil abode not in the truth, for there was no truth in him. Are you saved? Say amen. Amen. You have Jesus Christ, the truth, the, the way, the truth, and the life, right? Living inside you. So you got the truth in you, but you know what you gotta do? You gotta abide in the truth. That's how you stop the lies. John 15, 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, in the truth, And I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You ain't going to stop that tongue from saying the things that it's saying. You ain't going to do it on your own. You need Jesus Christ to do it for you. Jesus has to be able to stop that tongue and bridle your mouth and fill it with good things. A a word fitly spoken. Uh, And it says in verse 7, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. You got to get the word abiding in you. You got to be like that tree in Psalm chapter 1, planted by the rivers of water, so that way, you know, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, right? It it might not come right away. (laughs) Different trees bloom different fruit at different seasons. It might not be your season yet, or maybe you just got to spend more time in the water of the word, but just abide in it, and those things are just going to naturally fade away, and the fruit of the Spirit is going to naturally bloom out of you. 
It's not going to be mustering it up. I got to love people more. I got to, you pray for those things, right? If you if you abide in me and the word abides in you and you, you'll ask and he'll give it to you, you pray for those things. But the fruit of the spirit, fruit is natural, man. It doesn't just, you can't force grow it. It has to come out naturally through the spirit of God in his time and in his season. And when it does, it will be God's season so that it can bless somebody else at the right time. Because God's season is not our season. So, um... Last thing, last thing. I, I, I really wanted this message to be completely different. <laughs> I wanted to talk about different aspects of lying and stuff like that, but God really wanted to talk about the truth. But one thing that popped up that I did want to mention. Five times the Bible uses the phrase lying lips. And five times the Bible uses the phrase lying tongue. And I was like, that's interesting. And then you know, it dawned on me. You need both to speak utter words and that's death <laughs> five is the number of death right i just want to point out one of those references if you can turn with me to proverbs ten eighteen, proverbs chapter 10 verse number 18 the lord had other plans i guess but i wanted to stick this in there proverbs ten eighteen. this is one of those mentions if you could do it you can look it up yourself lying lips you're gonna in lying tongue. You'll find out that the lying lips are gonna stop one day, and it says that they they shall cease. But the tongue of the righteous, I think, endures forever. Something like that. There's are pretty cool verses in there because you know that in the end of the book in Revelation, all liars have their place in the lake of fire. So liars are gonna have their day. Don't be a liar. Uh, and then it says in Proverbs ten eighteen, this is the one that I want to point out though. He that hideth hatred with lying lips. And he that uttereth a slander is a fool. You know what God hates more than anything? I think, at least, maybe. Something he points out a lot when he deals with the religious crowd. Hypocrites. Who say one thing and do another. And right here, he says, if you're hiding hatred, because God knows your heart, with lying lips, you're a fool in God's eyes. Because you're acting as if God doesn't even exist. As if God doesn't see it. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Almost done. Two more stops. Romans chapter 12. Two more stops. I promise. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 9. This, right, Romans chapter 12, you had all 11 chapters of Romans explaining this great salvation, our place now in, in Israel's place, all these great doctrinal truths, and you get chapter 12, this beginning of the practical stuff that Paul's trying to give to the church. And he says in verse number nine, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Let love be without dissimulation. Brethren, the commandment that God gave us was to love one another as he loved us. We can't let that love be under false pretenses. We can't try to hide it with a mask of, of, uh, of lies to try to hide the hatred that we might have one toward another if someone steps on our toes and stuff like that. This is where Christianity, the rubber meets the road when you try to love the people that even hate you, that love your enemies, the Bible says. That is not easy. <laughs> but like I said before, you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can love. I don't have to hide behind lies to, to have the true love for one another. Turn with me. Final spot. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 
It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up, guys. Ephesians chapter 5, talking to myself. Time to grow up. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 14. Also, one of the more practical sides of Ephesians, right? Ephesians 4 through 6 with all the practical stuff. Ephesians 4, 14, that we henceforth be no more children. He doesn't want us to be children anymore and understand that. He wants us to know the truth because otherwise we're going to be caught by the deception of the devil. No more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. We got to know this book Understand the truth so that we don't have to listen to those lies. And now what we have to do is verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We are to speak the truth in love to the people around us, whether it be our brethren, whether it be the lost. That, and you know what? It's time for us to grow up into him because the time is short. He's coming soon. So let's put away lying and let's speak every man the truth to our neighbor. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.